Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts. I'm here with my co-host, Wynne Morgan. How are you doing, Wynne? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing so good. Good. And today, uh, as our guest, we have Brooke from the Spark Initiative. How are you doing, Brooke? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so glad you came. I'm so glad you came. So one of our favorite things to do when we have a guest on, um, instead of going the traditional route of who you are and what you've done, we love to ask guests what you would love our listeners to know about you right now. Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I'm Brooke. And I'm the CEO of the Spark Initiative. It's a nonprofit based in Tampa. And um, we work with youth is our focus. So we work with youth in all different areas. Um, most of our time, however, right now, after COVID, has interestingly turned to adults because those are the places that we can get into. So schools shut down and um, being able to work in schools with with youth has kind of kind of been put on pause. Um, it's slowly opening back up, but because that happened, we started an internship program with older youth, so 18 to 24, 28 years old. Um, we have about eight to 10 interns on on the roster right now, and we're working with them. But we're also working in jails with veteran men and women and um, with sex trafficking survivors at a local safe house. So that's that's the work that we do. And the work that we do um, with them is through a program with the adults is through a program called Insight to Wellbeing. And that's a program that was developed between the Spark Initiative and um, two other organizations, one Beyond Recovery, which is in the UK, and the other one is the Insight Alliance, which is out of Portland, Oregon. So we work with adults using that program um, and, and with youth using the Spark Mentoring programs. So those are just um, three principles-based programs. And we talk about an understanding of the mind and mental health education, as we call it here at Spark, and just um, how people are innately resilient. And me personally, I have five children at home and they have kept me incredibly busy over the summer. So they just went back to school two weeks ago and I feel like I'm finally coming up for air and returning to uh, Brooke who runs the Spark Initiative rather than Brooke who runs a household of five little people. So that's me. Wow. I hadn't known how much that's evolved in the last few years then since um, since COVID struck. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting because it's it, it wasn't really intentional. It's just what showed up when other things shut down, if that makes sense. 
So what I saw during COVID was there was an immense need more than usual and an immense kind of reaching out to our organization for tell me how I'm resilient, please. Cause I know you talk about it all the time, but I'm not feeling it <laughs> um, from all sorts of people, but also um, people that work with adults. So whereas I think we're always kind of trying to help kids just innately, no matter who you are. And, and you know, that kids need a little guidance and most adults don't think they need any guidance or pointing and people saw, you know, during and after COVID, like, oh, as an adult, as a helper, as, 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 um, someone who's working with kids, I need, I need some reassurance as well, almost. And that's kind of the gateway into all of the adult programs that, that we're now running. Mm. Wow. So I, I'm intrigued to hear a few examples of the work that you've been doing and the, if there's a before and after story of one or two people they've got in your mind um, and how you've pointed them to that innate resilience that we often forget that is innate. Well, if I'm really honest with you, in the past year, I have been doing the running of Spark rather than the teaching of Spark, of what Spark does. And that truly wasn't an intentional but it was just a natural growth of our organization where there has to be someone kind of in the background doing all the things. And in the past five months, I've been, I saw how much I've missed working with people. And so we actually, one of the people we brought on as an operations manager, who's now going to take over all of that. So I can tell you some stories, but I have to just be really honest that they're secondhand stories that I hear from my staff that come in and, and talk about um, the growth and the, 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 you know, the before and after. One that just comes to my mind immediately is um, Ashley, who's on my team, um, was working with a group of women and one of the women was very notably in our community all over the newspapers, like all over um, the media for a long time because she um, went into her workplace and and I won't give the whole story because I don't want to give kind of her identity away, but went into her workplace and did something that was that really terrorized some other people in the workplace. So it 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 was in the media. And so when she when she came into the class, she kind of identified herself right away. Like I'm here almost because whatever you see, you're delivering on innate wellness and innate well-being and resilience. I can assure you I'm not, I don't have that. And so she basically said, I've been hearing other people talk about this class and I just want to basically come in here and, and prove to you that there are exceptions to the rule rules. And as she went through the class, she started to realize that when she made the decision she made, um, based on, you know, feeling she had about her boss, she, she did it fully thinking she had to believe what her mind was telling her. Like she had to react to the, the state she was in, in order to justify the wrong that had been done against her. 
Like she believed that her option that she came up with, her solution to her problem was, was the only one. And what she saw through the class was that, you know, we do this activity where like thoughts are just coming and going. Right. And, and those are all, those can all be ideas. Those can all be solutions. Those, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right one or the one for you or, or that it says anything about you or that it's your solution, right? Your thoughts aren't necessarily yours. And through that, she saw like, oh my gosh, had I just waited until my state of mind settled, the solution that came to me would have been totally different. And so up until that point, she really thought what she did, and she'll probably be incarcerated for most of her life, if not all, she's still waiting for her trial. But she saw very clearly, like, had she just waited for her state of mind to transition as it always does, whether it's crazy or, or, or neutral or very, you know, calm, the solution would have been different to her problem, what she decided to do. And she just didn't know that she didn't have to react or that whatever she was thinking didn't mean that she had to act on it. And that to me is like, we've heard kids say that in, in, um, in jail too. I, one in particular that I remember we were doing this because we work with youth in, in the jail system too. And we were doing this activity where we talk about you're in a movie, right? A scary movie. And you, you know, you don't have to react to what's in front of you, even though you can feel all the feelings because you know, it's a movie and how that's really similar to life, right? Just because you're having feelings, it's almost like you're in a movie all the time. Your mind is generating this reality. That's just like a movie. And just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. And the student right, right up at the front just had this look of amazement on his face. Like he had heard something that just was totally mind blowing. And all the other students were kind of just joking around and talking about scary movies. And I just stopped and I was like, Hey, you know, what's going on? What are you seeing? And he just said, I would not be here right now if I knew this. And we don't really ask them why they're there. Right. So I had no idea why he was there. And I was like, Oh, well, were you scared? Is that why you did whatever you did that got you here? And he was like, no, I was bored. I was like, oh, you're bored. It's like, I really, I knew I shouldn't go out with the people that I went out with that night, but I thought I would go crazy if I stayed in my house anymore because I was so bored. I didn't know that feeling would pass unless I went out. I'm like, how simple is that, right? Like such a simple concept, such a simple understanding of how our minds work. But when we don't see it, we think we have to react. We have to do the thing in order to solve the feeling. And that's just kind of what I see in, in jail when I've taught in jail, but the stories I hear, that's a common thing like over and over and over again is people just don't know they it'll pass. And you don't have to do the thing in order for it to pass. It's just like, that's how your mind works. 
how do they typically respond having seen that they had another choice? So you've given two examples here where someone has been incarcerated, someone is likely to be, and now they could see the error of their ways, that they had other options. What, where do they go next in their mind? Because you know, there's a part of me that thinks that if that happened to me, I'd go into really doubling down on myself in a really bad way of how much of an idiot I am. That's funny because the adults do and the kids don't <laughs> most of the time that I see. It's it's more of like the kids react like when we were having this conversation, right? And that, that gentleman had that realization and you could just tell things were just different within him. The rest of the class wasn't having that experience. And the conversation from that went to, okay, great, but how do we use this in real life, right? This is really great, but when I'm on the streets in my neighborhood, that's not safe at all that, you know, I have to kind of prove myself. How do I, you know, how do I use what we're learning, like state of mind and and not having to react on a feeling? Because if you don't react on a feeling in some of those neighborhoods, it can look like you're weak, right? And so we really talked about, you know, knowing where you are in your mind before you put yourself in those places. Right. Um, so in, in the, in this guy's case, he didn't have to go out knowing the state of mind he was in. He could have stayed home. Like, so in just those kind of situations, as simple as, as it sounds is, you know, it's like, for me, it's, I know I'm not going to have a certain conversation with my husband if I'm like going crazy in my mind. Right. <laughs> I've learned that over time. I didn't know that before. And that's just genuinely changed how our relationship works because when I'm in a crazy state of mind, it is not the time to, you know, parent or to have that conversation. But with the kids, it's like, okay, if I'm in that state of mind and I know decisions and choices, um, I don't make the same ones I would, then I just make other choices on where I go and when I'm, when I'm, in certain places. So if I know I'm not in a, you know, calm state of mind, this is the conversation that happened with them. They're not necessarily going to go, Hey, my sparks, Hey man, my sparks telling me not to do that. They're not going to use that language with their friends, which is the conversation we had, but they have the, the, the knowledge now and the understanding now when and where to, to go and how to kind of navigate those, those situations that they're in. With the adults, we have totally different conversations because you're right. When like they do, they're like, God, I wouldn't be here right now. Right. Like I've just like, they have a different way of looking at their life as, you know, adults just see consequences a little different than kids do, like how it impacts them. They see a little further into their life. And we talk a lot about it. We're human. We're really like, we're all human and humans are susceptible to getting swept into the reality of our thinking. And it happens to all of us. And the best thing we can do for ourselves, if once we start to really understand how our mind works is if we're not in a great state, the worst thing we can do is start beating ourselves up. Right. Cause that's just going to add to thinking, add to the thinking, add to the thinking. But realizing we're all humans, we, this happens to all of us, we get caught up, 
what I've seen about this understanding that is amazing over and over and over is one of the first like outputs of it is you start to have compassion for other people first, right? Like when I started learning this, I, and when I see other people learning it, all of a sudden you start to understand how everyone else is working. So you start to have more compassion when other people are in a state, but that same capacity to have compassion for other people, you know, you point to yourself too, like, okay, if I can have compassion for that person, then I should be able to have that same level of compassion for myself. Because I, you know, just like they, they get in those states and they don't really see clearly. And then they act out on that. I do the same thing sometimes and it's okay. And the best thing I can do for myself is to not give myself a hard time about it because that's just going to keep me there mm-hmm. for longer. Brooke, I'd love to know if you're okay with sharing, what is the most profound way that you've seen your own resilience in your life in this understanding? That's a really good question. I've shared this before, but I think it's a it's a story worth sharing. Um, so I I have two biological children, and I adopted three children. Um, they came to live with me in 2017, so it's been about five years now. But through they're my niece and my my two nephews, and through that experience the adoption process was like two and a half years long and there's two things about resilience that I noticed right away when we brought them into our home they didn't like my kids and they didn't really know each other because of situations where they they weren't in each other's lives before the my niece and nephews went to foster care and then we figured out they were in foster care and brought them in our house so what I noticed about resilience in my children was when my my husband and I had made the decision to bring them into the house, my mind was on the kids in foster care. Like that was my whole, cause my kids are good, right? Like they've come from this really stable upbringing and, and they're going to be fine. I had no doubt in my mind that they had the same resilience that we talk about that I teach. So I was totally focused on them. And what I saw was three kids come into our house who did have a lot of adjusting to do, but they, for lack of a better word, just took it like champs, right? Like they, they knew they had this resilience innately. Like they couldn't call it resilience. They didn't know what that word meant, but they just knew like, oh, I've been here. I've been here. I'm going to be okay here too, right? Like they had already discovered it themselves because they had opportunities in their lives to I, I wouldn't call it opportunities, but but they did. They had situations where they had to discover their resilience. And then I had my two children who have been like spoon fed, you know, a great life completely fall apart in front of my eyes. And I didn't expect that. I just didn't see it. But what I learned about resilience is it's innately in there because through the years I've seen both of them, right? Like I've seen my niece and nephews who went through things you read about in newspapers just have this aliveness in them that for all accounts and purposes shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And then my kids who 
for all accounts and purposes, should have no trouble adjusting, have to figure it out for themselves. Like there was no amount of me saying, you're resilient. You can handle this. You, you know, there's no pep talks, but they found it within themselves. And then for, for myself through that adoption process towards the end, our state is kind of terrible with foster the foster situation in our state's pretty grim and the processes are pretty grim. So we didn't have much guidance through that process. And so towards the end, we were just called into a meeting and my husband and I had no idea what the meeting was. We just knew it was like one of the things we had to check off before we could adopt them. And we sat down and the caseworkers, like there was two caseworkers and there was a pile of paper, I'm not kidding, this, like this big. And they just said, well, this meeting is, I can't remember what they called it now, but basically we have to, by law, tell you everything that's ever happened that we have on record to these kids so that you know, like, so that we can say, you know, everything you're getting yourself into before you officially adopt them, essentially. And so for two hours, my husband and I just sat there while they literally read police report, case report. I mean, two straight hours of just trauma-filled information that we didn't know to a point where my body reacted when we walked out. I just, I, I got sick. Um, I stayed in bed that night and what happened to me, I started to notice like they had already been in my house for 18 months. And I started to notice, I just kept going like, well, now what, right? Like, because I had all this information about what they went through, I started fearing for the future, like, oh my gosh, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. And I wasn't noticing I was doing it. And the next morning or afternoon, I hadn't got out of bed because I was still so upset about everything I had just read. And I finally, like my body said, you just have to get up. Like you just have to get up and walk downstairs. And I walked downstairs and I fell to my knees and I just started crying. And then some somehow like this little voice in my head was like but you you've already seen their resilience like they've lived with you for 18 months you had no idea any of this happened because they're so resilient you wouldn't know there's nothing to fear like that they're gonna be okay they're already okay and that was just like a like it just flicked me out of all that fear that I think most people in my situation would like live by, right. Would live by like, okay, well, I know this happens. So then that means I have to react this way to certain situations. And I have to parent this way because that trauma happened to them. And I have to do this and all of that kind of dissipated. And I could, I now like, because of that resilience that I've seen and I know is there, I can parent from a place of presence, right? Like it, doesn't have to be about what they went through in the past. It doesn't have to be about what my kids went through in the past. It's like every moment is a new, fresh moment. And I can parent from that moment because I know they have this resilience inside of them. And that's just a totally different way. You know, I'm in like a lot of groups of adoptive parents and, and that perspective of mind is just, I can see is totally different than a lot of their like like sheltering and kind of catering to, and, you know, and there are moments where my spark says, okay, you know, this, this happened. So 
maybe don't say it this way, or there's things I just innately don't say to them because of what they went through. But it's not about like protecting them from trying to like not trigger something or anything. It's just like, that's what you do because you, they're little people and you're parenting from the present, I guess, is the biggest thing I learned about resilience. A few times, Brooke, you've shared my spark says. Tell me what you mean. So at the Spark Initiative, we um, try to use vernacular that is that resonates with young people. And so when we talk about our spark, we talk about it in two different ways. We talk about like there's a spark behind life that just kind of has your back, right? This spark behind life that um, keeps things going, even when you're not going right. <laughs> like even when you're um, you know, I, for myself personally, I say like that, I know that there's a spark that just guides my life, even when I'm not seeing things the way clearly, even when I'm acting or, you know, when I'm believing the story that's being given to me through my head, through my thoughts, there's still something running in the background that is, that is like, uh, I always say it's like the soft pillow to land on it's always going to be there. It's just there to help you. It's also like what keeps you breathing at night and what keeps the trees growing. And like, there's just an energy in life that has your back that kind of guides you. And then your spark is like within you, right? We talk about it, how it's like, it's, it's the whole world's, but it's also yours too. And that's there for you to, you know, kind of tap you on the shoulder and go, Hey, but you don't have to look over here where all this stuff's going on. Look here. Like this is going to be where there's more opportunities. There's more solutions. There's clearer, you know, or it tells you to take a step back. Like mm, probably not good to keep revving that engine, right? That's your spark telling you that's personal for you. And when, and to be honest, when we first started talking about it, we talked about the personal way more than the, the, the everyone's, but when we kind of, when we're talking to kids, we, we differentiate it because one, it's really helpful to know like that same spark that's um, running the world is also there for you too. And everyone's got it. And you're not like different just because you made a certain choice or because your brain works, you know, I have a daughter that is really hyper and she's like, I'm so different. My brain doesn't work the same. And I'm like, you're right. It does not. It runs on a speed. <laughs> That is way different than the rest of the kids in the house. But you also have that spark. That same spark is inside of you and guides you the way you need to be guided. And it might not be the same as your brothers or sisters or, you know, or me, but it's there to help you too. And so that's what I mean by your spark. Beautiful. You mentioned earlier on as well, working with, people who are victims of sex, sex trafficking yeah that correct and i it wouldn't i wouldn't even know where to begin so where do you begin so unfortunately florida's the um third leading state in the united states for human trafficking most of it is sex trafficking and so there just happens to be a lot of 
safe houses and, and recovery centers around here. Um, and when we started, the reason we started working with that group is very early on, we, um, we have a, a high, a big migrant population here in Florida. And, um, a few of the students that we were mentoring, um, we found out through the mentoring, they were being trafficked. And so we really got involved with the organization in our area that, um, that works with, um, women that are trafficked and it began really like right up 2015, we've been running weekly groups with, um, with this one safe house. And it's amazing to me that the women are all 18 to 34. I think there's no one over 34. Um, but it's amazing to me because I had the same thought when I was the first one to start one of those groups, I offered it and I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. I don't really know what to do. <laughs> Is this going to be different? Like, how am I going to speak to these women? And it's amazing to me that it it is it, every population that we work with it. We can get kind of nervous when we first start and then it's like, oh, okay, they're human. It's the same go in, you get nervous. Okay. We're, they're human. And that's the same with, you know, the women that we work with, it really isn't about why they're there. It's just really about understanding how, how you work. And then, and then what inevitably happens is a deeper understanding of maybe not even how they got there. I think that's one thing about the women that we work with is a lot of times it was never their choice that they're there because at a very young age, someone in their life did something that was not, not the right thing. And that, you know, they were put there almost nine times out of 10. That's, it wasn't their choice. It was someone else's choice on how they got there. But, but for them to understand how to recover from that, a, a deep understanding of how your mind works is, is a really solid foundation of how to start. And I think what happens with trauma is that it comes back and I can speak from my own experience. It comes back in waves when you're not expecting it, right? Like all of a sudden you'll be in this place where your body is reacting to something before your mind can even catch up to something is happening and you're remembering something or you're someone did something that like triggers you from a past experience and understanding that every feeling you have is truly coming from a thought in the moment and that you don't have to really identify the thought. It's just how it works. That can help you become present and get out of that a lot faster, get out of that trauma response a lot quicker than not understanding like I know for myself and for the women that we've worked with, like not understanding what's going on with your body and it's connected to your mind and it's connected to the lack of presence you have in that moment can feel totally out of control. And you feel, you really do feel like you have to do something about it because it doesn't feel like you're in your own body. Something's taking over it, but having that knowledge of like, okay, I don't know what it is, but something happened and it's okay. And I know it's going to pass. It just allows you to become present way faster. Love that. Brooke, did it take time for you 
first started talking to these different groups to not internalize, you know, the stories that, that they've shared and the things that have happened to them and to kind of stay in a place where you're holding space for them to share, but also not sure the exact words, but to go where they're going, but to kind of hold space for them at the same time. I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, I think is really different about what we do is that, and I think it's very at first jarring for, especially when we're working in the jails or at at the, um, at the safe house is when we're, when we're teaching, it's truly about like just humans in general. And one of the things I, I often start with is if I'm talking to a group of kids or veterans or at the safe houses, what we're going to talk about is something we go into, you know, businesses and talk about. And it's something we come here and talk about. We talk about it to elementary school kids. And so it really neutralizes what, what were, what the conversation consists of. And a lot of times people are waiting for us to be like, why are you here? What did you do? Tell me about your story. And it's not that there's never space for that because it does come up, but it comes up on their terms rather than um, us kind of starting with their story, right? It comes up in their terms as like um, examples of something that they're learning. It comes up as like a residual of an insight they're having. So in that place, it's healing for them. And it's not, it's not as heavy. Mm. Whereas normal conversations or, or maybe other classes, it starts with the heavy. And then we got to kind of reverse back to getting to an insight. Whereas our conversations are just naturally opposite way. So when, if, and when they do share, they're sharing from a place of aha or, or relief or, or healing or something like that. And that's just a totally different conversation, I think. I love that. I remember we were, um, years ago, we, like six years ago now, because we're just coming up at the end of our project with them, which was a six-year project, but we just started working with a foster care agency in Jacksonville. And me and Ashley went and did our first training and they were all psychologists. And I had so much thinking about this (laughs) six years ago. I was fresh off the, just starting this out. Right. And so we did this three-day training and we got to the end and, um, the director of the program was like, oh my gosh, this would just solve our turnover problem. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, everyone's so like compassion fatigue. They have so much compassion fatigue that they just go to new jobs. This would solve it. And at the time I was, I could kind of like get why, but I didn't know why, you know, cause I was so new too. And I was like, great, that's awesome. You should do that. <laughs> but now I see, yeah, you cause you just don't, there's something about understanding how your mind works and then having compassion for others, but in a way that's like, yeah, me too, 
rather than going down the hole with them of like, oh, I can't believe that happened to you. And that's a totally different way of mm-hmm. seeing how things work than like, oh, I can't believe that happened to you. Right. It's like, I can totally see how that happened because I see that in my own life. You know, it might not be the exact same circumstances, but I see how I do that to myself sometimes too. Or I see how other people could get there, you know, and, and make those choices as well. Or, and also I see the resilience you have. And so I don't have to go home and worry about how you're going to get yourself out of that. Cause I know you have that capacity in you. And so I didn't see that at the time when he said that, but I, I totally see how it really is kind of like a, I don't know an anecdote is that no it's not the right word anyway it's a helpful thing for compassion fatigue <laughs> i was just listening to a podcast this morning and um it was a coach in this understanding and she's talking about her work with clients and the value of spending time with people when you know they're not broken. And I knew that was so true. I just kind of felt the the truth in that is how much value that conversation has and that space with somebody when you don't even have to say it. Mm -hmm. You sense when they see that you're not broken. And that's what we do as coaches is just think that has so much value for other people just to be in that space and hold that for them yeah I agree we talk about it here like there's nothing that we say explicitly but something that comes out if not at the end of the first session the end of the second session in jails inevitably Adults don't necessarily say it out loud, but kids are always like, ma'am, why are you talking to me like I'm not wearing orange? Or, you know, they're trying to get a handle on it. Like, what are you, what are you really up to? (laughs) And it's like, wow, they, in some way or another, they say something like that to you. And, And we've talked about like, well, what are we are we saying something? Are we doing something that that just keeps coming up? And it's obvious that we're doing something, right? Like we're doing what you said, we're holding a place for it and we're seeing who they really are rather than where they are, what they did. Like it's not even of interest to us, but it's also not really like a conscious thing. It's just how I think the more you go in this understanding, the deeper you go, the more that's just a natural thing that comes out. It's not something that's taught, right? You can't teach someone to see other people as whole. You have to see, you have to see it for yourself. And then it's just natural. What would you say to somebody right now who is listening to you, who thinks that they are the exception? The exception to what? They are not a part of the spark of life. They don't have the spark within. And they are what they did. And there isn't a deeper who they are. I think I would ask them to 
think about a time it could be you know even when they were little but a time where they truly felt not happy because i think we as humans get caught up in happy but like content okay peaceful and ask them if they had to at in that time did they have to do something to get there or was it just a natural state of whatever was going on and really think about how many times in their life like when they felt that way well you know what were the circumstances around that was it was there a lot of trying going on or was it just they found themselves there and explore what that is because when people it's one of the first questions we ask people and when we go to jail is think of a time that you felt really at peace when you felt really calm when you felt content not happy but content okay and what people kind of see is like oh want they see a few things not always the same but one sometimes they see like oh that happens way more often than i give it credit like a lot of times we dismiss that because negative feelings or chaotic feelings can feel a lot stronger right they're a lot stronger than the calm feelings they they're a little more overpowering so we discredit the calm default that is in all of us and we don't really look to it but also they a lot of times you can see like oh i wasn't trying that was just what happened when i stopped trying like i wasn't trying to get calm <laughs> is when i stopped fighting all the other stuff is when that just happened and that's natural and that's our well-being that's our safe space and that's where we can always return to and just seeing that coupled with an understanding that when we're not in that space we probably shouldn't be doing much <laughs> less is more is is what i always say is you know you start to see your own resilience in that and there's also a something we talk about a lot i guess when we're in places that you know, like that we've been talking about today, like schools, not so much, but when we're in jails and we're in the safe houses, um, or even sometimes we work in treatment centers, it's like, there's a wisdom to whatever got you there too, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a piece of, you know, a lot of times it's survival for a lot of them, or it's, it looked like the best thing given what was going on at the moment. And there's wisdom wisdom in that and it's not necessarily as bad as society makes it out to be right like you were doing some like you were doing the best you could given whatever circumstances were going on in the moment and that same wisdom has always been available to you and so when they can see like oh that looks way different than i thought it would right like you know, me reacting in that way was my own, my own spark guiding me and, and maybe not the best way, but it was still there. Like, oh, it's always been there. I just haven't looked to it as much or noticed it, I guess. Any final words as we, as we finish up today for 
for anyone listening right now? I don't know why this is coming up, but this is when we talk at the office and even when I talk to my own kids, I think we can make life really freaking complicated. But if I could teach like all the kids in the world one thing, it would be that all feelings are okay. And they're all very natural and they're, you don't have to fight against the feeling. Most of the problems in our world come because someone's fighting against a feeling they have inside. So if we could all learn that all feelings are okay, then I think the world would be a better place. Thank you. This has been a joy to listen to you uh, again today. And the details of where to get hold of you and your organization, they're, they're wherever you found this podcast or here on YouTube if you're watching the video version. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. You've been listening to this week's Under the Noise with me, Wynne Morgan, my co-host, Kate Roberts, and our wonderful guest today, Brooke. If you have any questions or ideas that you'd like us to cover in future episodes, then please get in touch. Our, our details are also on the outro that as uh, Kate will take us through in a moment and also in the text wherever you found this podcast today. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at kateroberts.coaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.